This is Good Omens Episode 5, The Doomsday Option, on TV Podcast Industries and in association with... Hmm? Ah! Oh. Welcome back, Acolytes, to this episode of the Good Omens podcast on TV Podcast Industries. Yes, episode five, the doomsday option. Um, yes, who is it? Shadwell or Adam Young? You decide. <laughs> Send in the votes, please. Uh, yes, I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host for this episode, Derek. Chris, unfortunately, is traveling once again. He doesn't stop traveling, does he? he I think he's going stuff. to an airbase outside Lower Tadfield. <laughs> and right after this, I've got to hop on a plane and go there myself. Nice. Everybody seems to be drawn there. It's like a big magnet, isn't As it? do you. Yes. Everybody Death. go there. <laughs> nice. Uh, if you listen to our outtakes from last week's episode, you may understand what that's about. <laughs> but everybody's on the way to Tadfield, aren't they? Unfortunately, Chris won't be here for this episode. He actually may not be here for our final episode of Good Omens as well. It just depends on when he gets back and when we start our recordings for Jessica Jones Season 3, uh, which he also has to do next week. So we're trying to fit in, probably in his busiest travel season, we're trying to fit in two completely different shows that he's supposed to be doing with us. Uh, uh, no, he's not going to be here. I said he might not be. He doesn't know just yet, and we don't know just yet. He might be able to be on for the last episode. I think we need Madame Tracy here to kind of connect with him <laughs> through the power of seance, dare I say it. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. It would be pretty cool. But if you want to connect to us like Madame Tracy through the power of seance, or dare I say it, voicemail through uh, com. just click on the right-hand side tab for 90 seconds of voicemail, or you can seance us through email at goodomenspodcast at gmail.com. And indeed, seance us through Facebook, through our Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com forward slash TV podcast. I don't think that's an actual adverb, though, John. To seance us. You seance us. We seance us. He seances us. I'm not sure it's an actual word, John. I think it's in the same way that informated is also not really a word. Uh, I'm just channeling <laughs> my kind of... Uh, you know, military speak here for like for making up words and stuff. I like it. Seances. I like it. Well, we do actually have a piece of feedback that we're going to get into before we get into our spoiler filled review for this week because we got in a piece of feedback, a voicemail piece of feedback from Steve Brown. I've never felt more like a member of Podcastica than when I saw an email with a voicemail from Steve Brown. Hashtag We Are Steve. Our friends over at Podcastica who have all of those wonderful podcasts about all the other great TV shows will understand this because Steve sends in some wonderful voicemails for their show. Really interested to hear what he has to say about Good Omens. Yeah, fire away, Steve. Hello, Good Omens podcast. This is Steve. And I know I'm late. I thought uh, I had time to send through episode four, but I just finished watching episode four and I saw that the podcast is already out. So I hope it's okay to go ahead and, and send you my thoughts on up through episode four, but including episode four. And uh, I just wanted to say I love you guys' voice. You, you sound great. 
and I'm a I'm a believer in the Bible. I'm a Christian, and uh, I can appreciate though the the jokes and some of the the misunderstandings and the things that come up as as funny that people who may not uh, necessarily believe it as scripture and believe in God uh, find funny. I, I can appreciate it, and I don't I don't get offended by it. Um, Nick Offerman without a mustache just seems wrong, and. Um, I love when uh, Anathema, Anathema, uh, Divine uh, said professional descendants that made me chuckle. Uh, I love the way Crowley gets his messages from his, his uh, uh, from uh, Ligur, and, uh, especially in the movie theater there with the Teletubbies, or it was the, like a, a knockoff of the Teletubbies killing each other with the blood and guts. I thought that was really, really funny. Uh, I loved Crowley using the Do You Feel Lucky? line uh from uh, dirty harry i thought that was uh, really good and uh can't wait to hear what you guys thought as i listen to uh the ones that you've already recorded and i'll try to get something in before you record episode or for episode five uh if i can uh, talk to you later thanks so much steve for those thoughts that's really good he has actually gotten in some feedback for episode five so we're going to have that at the end of the episode uh but really loving your thoughts about this episode i always wondered really because i know that with terry pratchett and with neil gaiman both of them do take a lot of things from scripture and turn them into stories you know there's a lot of comic books they use and a lot of their books themselves where they use things from scripture and kind of put a little bit of a twist on them a comedy twist of course you know these yeah, books absolutely. are thousands of years old so having a bit of bit of fun with them is always is always good good omens is a really good example of that where they're taking you know lowly angels you know people like crowley and uh, like aziraphale and kind of putting an idea of what they would be like if they'd been gotten to by humanity, I suppose. <laughs> so I like the I like the idea that humanity is seeped into these two angels who are supposed to be wholly good or wholly bad, and they've kind of come out the other side as being kind of grey, really, in in their opinions about the world because they want to save the world, not go along with their standard template, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think it's a I think it comes from a place of just being funny, absolutely, yeah. and I think it also shows. That humanity is a force for extreme good and extreme evil. Uh, and as much as it has infected these two angels, mm-hmm. one demonic, one not so demonic. Um, so I, I think it's a really interesting thing. Uh, I, I love um, the, the the reference, Steve, there that you made to the Teletubby Armageddon. <laughs> Seemingly they have gone through it slightly earlier than the human race uh, with uh, Hasta. Uh, ripping off uh, one or maybe it was Lala or Poe's <laughs> head I don't know uh, for for con- probably contractual trademark mm-hmm. and, and other proprietary right reasons <laughs> it's not exactly the Teletubbies but yeah, yeah I, I completely rabbits. forgot that they were effectively a riff on on the Teletubbies mm-hmm. um, so yeah well, a children's programming definitely and yes you're right that that little line about uh, that was taken from Dirty Harry of uh, have I used all of my holy water or not take your chances punk kind of thing you know that idea that he's feeling very like dirty harry is really cool thanks so much for your thoughts steve really good to get a voicemail in from you what steve did there was he just he just recorded his voicemail on his phone and emailed it into us at the email address that john mentioned goodomenspodcast at gmail.com we'll get some more feedback from steve at the end of the episode on episode five so looking forward to it. if anybody else wants to send in your feedback even if you don't get it in time for our final episode episode six send it into us we'll most likely email you back because we really want to hear your thoughts on this show it's been really good fun yeah good stuff steve thanks so much uh, for your thoughts on episode four i think with that on with our spoiler filled review yes john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for good omens episode five the doomsday option sure Crowley has lost his best friend, but in the burning remnants of AZ Fell and company, has found the prophecies of Agnes Nusser, which he doesn't know what to do until Aziraphale 
ghost angel, <laughs> finds a way for his ghostly body to talk to the drunken demon. The angel tells Crowley, demon, to get his arse to Tadfield Airfield Base while he finds a body to possess. Luckily, Madam Tracy is at hand as she is holding a seance to earn a little extra cash but gets a real visitation as Xerophel merges with her and leads Tracy and Shadwell to the start of the end of the world. Meanwhile, at Hog's Backwoods, Adam is having trouble keeping control of his friends. He wants their support, but when he gives them their free will back, they turn and walk away, including his beloved dog. The them finally convince Adam that he, what he's planning is all wrong, and he realises that he needs to work hard to stop the apocalypse. As the riders of the apocalypse arrive at the US airfield base, with some directions from their local neighbourhood watch representative, J.P. Tyler, Tadfield starts to get busy busy, as everyone else converges on this teeny tiny village in rural Oxfordshire, also known as the new centre of the universe and the final place for the Armageddon standoff. Nice, nice. <laughs> this episode, you know, it feels like the apocalypse actually wouldn't happen, or Armageddon wouldn't happen if it wasn't for... J.P. Tyler of the Neighbourhood Watch, because <laughs> he gives everybody <laughs> their directions. Even Adam and, and the them, he could have stopped them and gotten their parents to stop them going there, but he lets them go, or they have a little interaction with him at least, but everybody seems to have their moment with J.P. Tyler. I thought, yeah, I thought that was really, really good. And of course, the moment that he has with Crowley, you have that great little um, sort of device of what he actually wants to say as to what he's saying. We kind of saw that with the nuns, with the wink, you know, what the wink means and what they're uh -huh. actually trying to say. And it's a really nice device here. It's really great that they've taken this little cameo uh, here uh, and just expanded it out in a small way, but in a really meaningful and great way mm -hmm. as all the main characters are coming through the Tadfields <laughs> um, sort of main street to, yeah. to get to the US airbase. I think it, I mean, just generally and more broadly on this episode, I was like going, okay, they've got two episodes. How is this all going to work out? Mm -hmm. And I think it is played out written out structured out as a penultimate episode mm -hmm. to get all these players into one place at this airbase really really well um i think it's a real um example of how you can do something as expansive and as large as this and and make it work in a really snappy, funny way. So mm -hmm. this is, for me, this was really, really good. And not to go back to too much about the book and how it was originally structured as well, this isn't very different from how it was structured. It's very much, you know, it gets to Saturday, it gets to Friday, the day before the Armageddon, and then it literally just ramps up and ramps up to the point that everybody is in the village. Within, you know, with 50 pages, everybody is there. It's not jumping over anything that you would have really missed from the books. We'll talk about one thing uh, as we go into our Signs of the Apocalypse that is skipped out over and has kind of made a few people disappointed i suppose but overall what's been done here on the tv show with putting everything into this last or this penultimate episode getting everybody together it's done as quickly as it's done in the books it's not a huge amount extra added yeah but with that on to our first sign of the apocalypse a real seance and the return of Aziraphale. And a brand new sound effect. Certainly is. Yeah, the cracking whip transition <laughs> stolen very nicely from the Good Omens TV mm -hmm. show. Uh, there is a great moment where Shadwell is about to 
to rest up, uh, you know, at the instruction of Madame Tracy um, after he has discorporated Aziraphale. Mm, uh, and he so. is about to sort of lovingly, in in this aura of pink in, in Madame Tracy's pink room, lean back on the bed filled with, um, you know, squeaky animals, plush teddies and a unicorn. Uh, and as he says... What kind of place is this you get this cracking whip? Uh, because it is not just a place of pink. It may also be a place of pain. You have to ring ahead, remember. Absolutely. Uh, but it was just such a, a nice little transition here. We just thought we would use it for these signs of the apocalypse uh, yeah. in this episode. I think you could definitely see why Madame Tracy would need about two or three days' notice. She needs to get rid of all of those toys off the bed. <laughs> I kind of love this. It, the indication here, I suppose, is that Shadwell thinks of her as a woman of the night. But actually, she's much more into this kind of these seances and readings for people now. That's not, not her job. If it ever was her job in the past, it might have been, it might not have been, but it seems like Shadwell is now in this room and he's kind of looking around going, what kind of debauchery would go on in here? You know? <laughs> uh, but I think getting on to this seance, um, I have to say now, I have two favourite seance sequences in that have been put to TV now. Right. Um, this one for pure comedy mm-hmm. seance value. Uh, the other one being the seance in Penny Dreadful season one with Eva Green. Oh, yes. Purely for its dramatic effect. and, and it, it's scary punch. as hell. Yeah, it's yeah. really horror. This for the absolute other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. This to me was amazing. I laughed out loud. I reminisced because I love the fact here that uh, Brenda, who's come here to... To speak with her dead husband, Ron, uh, and the spirits around there, you know, they're they're really kind of northern here. And and there are moments here that just make me uh, laugh out loud from where she's giving out because they started serving Korean food. And, and, well, what do you do with kimchi? Who knows? (laughs) Then just moving Ron, sort of getting exasperated, even from beyond the grave with Brenda, that you never gave me a chance to get a word in edgeways. And it's like, Brenda, and she goes, yes, Ron, shut up. (laughs) Uh, It's just so nicely done. And just the... Miranda Richardson as well is an absolute star here. Yeah, she's absolutely brilliant. I love this idea of a seance, you know, this idea that you want to contact a person that's passed. You want to contact a person from beyond the grave. And it's never really talked about any other time whether they want to speak to you, you know? I love this idea that she's been coming for seven years, so she believes she has seniority over the other two people that are at the table. She's kind of going, no, no, I need to get my story out first to Ron. Ron's been dead for seven years, and she's been coming here every week, it seems, to tell him her stories of the boring things that are happening after he's dead. <laughs> it's like, you never gave me an opportunity to speak when I was alive. I'm dead. And she goes, be careful of your dicky heart, Ron. And he goes, I don't have a heart anymore. I've been dead. <laughs> it's hilarious. I absolutely love this moment. This uh, this voiceover is played by Johnny Vegas, who if you're in the UK, you've probably seen him on many, many shows. He's a really funny comedian who always plays the part of this kind of drunken, bumbling character. I love in this that he has this stutter that he's that shows that he's always been someone you put upon the whole time by his wife the whole way through his life. And I love that she won't even let him get away when he dies. I just think that's a, a, a terribly <laughs> hilarious kind of comedic moment that, that, no, it's my turn to talk to him. I have to tell him all about the wedding I was at last week. How boring a conversation to bring somebody back from beyond the grade to have 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think also as well, you know, the Korean food gag and and the kimchi, it really reminds me of uh, Peter Kay in, in Phoenix Nights, um, which is again, it, it's a it's a very small parts um, series. Um, about six episodes set in a northern social club or X minus club, uh, which really is kind of, you know, becoming um, consigned to history. But there they have a similar gag. But the the new fresh food, the thing that's kind of, you know, they they don't understand to their sort of older palates or more traditional palates is garlic bread and cheesecake um and it's just again it it really fills in a nice sort of history of this this idea that people don't get certain foods that come and become fashionable mm-hmm. or, or or really become popular and I, that to me is just hilarious it is a, a really really good just the scene overall miranda richardson is magnificent in this yeah. scene, Ch- channeling Aziraphale, channeling Michael Sheen's voice coming out of her the whole time. I love how the original possession happens, where I, I think we had the we had the subtitles on for it and just kept saying uh, burping and farting <laughs> <laughs> while she's making cow noises and elephant, <laughs> elephant noises, noises. Yeah. or all kind of stuff. And even when she's doing the false seance bit, where she's trying to pretend uh, and, and oh, she's brilliant. just making certain noises, and then you have that moment with Mister Scroggy uh, around the table saying, "Do you know a John, Jim, Tom, perhaps?" Steve, Steve, um, and it ends up being Dave, and he's like, "Oh, I knew a Dave from Hemel Hempstead," and it's kind of like it's just the all parts of this, from her doing the false seance to when she is getting possessed by Aziraphale, are just absolute pure class. I think it's it's why I love Miranda Richardson. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I love that the, the false seance ends with well, Dave says from beyond the veil he wants you to know he's doing fine, <laughs> and Mister Scroggy goes. But I just saw him the other day walking his dog. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's just so hilarious. funny. But I love the reaction from Miranda Richardson again as she's doing this false seance to hearing that a guy doesn't know a person called John. No offense, John, but everybody knows John <laughs> exactly. or Dave. Exactly. That's, that's the old gag in the UK, isn't it? Everybody knows a John yeah. or a Dave, and she <laughs> that kind moment. of breaks that moment and looks at him and goes, "Really? You don't know a John?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just pure, pure class. I love just as like Brenda, um, Mr. Scroggy, and, and the other lady kind of leave here that um you have this conversation you know mr shadwell wakes up to find um madam tracy and aziraphale having this conversation and that actually madam tracy probably the first time she's ever been possessed that she's she's kind of quite calm about it and i kind of like that idea that she had sort of at peace with this possession i love the fact that shadow comes back that he can hear aziraphale's voice he recognizes it and Shadwell says, that must be a Southern Pansy. Uh, and you have the comeback from Aziraphale through um, Madame Tracy saying, not just any Southern Pansy, the Southern Pansy. You know, absolutely owning that kind of derogatory nickname that's been assigned to him. You know, yeah. really, really nicely done. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. That moment with Madame Tracy where she does completely accept the fact that she's been possessed. It either says that she has previously in the past conducted seances that work. Or that just all of these years doing seances mean that she's not particularly surprised that somebody can come in, you know? Um, I don't know whether it stands out to you. It's, it's definitely something that was in the subtitles. When his voice starts to come through Madame Tracy, a couple of times you see in the subtitles that it is Aziraphale's voice. A couple of times you hear that it's her voice. And a couple of times it's their shared voice. And one of those times is 
when he says that we see Ron in the room, that's both of their voices saying it. So she potentially is able to see ghosts as well. Which I just think is an interesting touch. It's nothing, yeah, yeah. nothing that really will play in too much more. We've only got one more episode to go. But I just think it's an interesting touch that possibly Madame Tracy is in contact with Ron. But she was actually just saying... I don't want to talk to Ron again for the fifth or sixth year in a row. We're going to leave him over in the corner. And we're going to make up something so we can bring in this Mr. Scroggy and, and get him his money's worth. Yeah. Because that face on Mr. Scroggy as this whole possession is going on. He's absolutely loving it. He's got his head back and he's just laughing and smiling with joy at the whole drama of the situation. Well, that's it. And with the lightning and the weather, yeah. and they, they, they ask Madame Tracy... Did you get the weather as well? And she's like, oh, yes, it is very seancey, isn't it? And really nicely done. I think as well, you know, what happens here with the possession of Madame Tracy is Zerophil calls to action both Madame Tracy and Shadwell uh, to tackle and go after the Antichrist. And I love the moment where Shadwell's like going, well, I don't know, even though he's been boasting about his finger being the ultimate weapon, Mm -hmm. the 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 doomsday option. Um, And of course, it's nice that he thinks he's that, but he's being told to go after the doomsday option effectively in Mm -hmm. Adam Young. And he's kind of trying to just squirm out of it a bit, you know. We are a witch finder sect, uh, not um, the Antichrist sect. Uh, and you have Aziraphale going, oh, well, you've, you've had plenty of uh, time and experience to go after witches. This will be no problem. He's like, well, we kind of haven't really got any. And then he's uh-huh. like, how many nipples does the Antichrist have? And he's like, oodles, absolutely oodles, nipples everywhere, says Aziraphale. <laughs> so it's just, again, coming back to that um, interesting fact that witches have got loads of nipples. Well, that seems to be the explanation. It seems to be one of those or, things. One of the identifiers. Yeah, it's one of those ones, as you always find from this kind of thing in the Witchfinder army and the history of them all. Well, effectively, there were no such thing as witches or real witches, the ones that they were looking for. So they always had these false indicators for them. The idea that every single witch had a hooked nose and had green skin and a pointy hat and and they also had multiple nipples. All this stuff came from the fact that the Witchfinder army were people that didn't sleep with women they didn't they kept themselves pure and didn't have didn't have relations with anybody else so they made up this concept of what a witch really is over these many many centuries it's turned into this idea that all shadwell ever does is read the newspaper to find out whether people with multiple nipples are found that's all he does and that's what he calls himself as a witch finder but he does have this wonderful weapon the thunder gun of witch finder colonel dalrymple I love how he describes this, where he's wondering how, how this could be of use to Aziraphale. And, and he says to him, well, it shoots silver bullets. And Aziraphale says, no, that's for werewolves. And he goes, it shoots garlic. And he goes, that's for vampires. And he goes, shoots bricks. <laughs> I love how simple it is. It's effectively turned this thunder gun into a catapult. <laughs> a high-powered catapult, but a catapult all the same. You know? The garlic might be useful for famine, because we kind of see fairly vampire looking uh, teeth, teeth on... Yeah. on uh, famine later on in the episode so yeah i think uh, the garlic being blasted out of uh, the thunder gun may certainly be effective against famine with his old pointy teeth <laughs> maybe maybe but what a great way to get us onto our second whip crack and our second sign of the apocalypse Yes, the horse people of the apocalypse reach Tadfield Air Base. Mm-hmm. But first off, they do stop off at the Happy Porker Cafe. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking, is that because they like bacon butties, people that go there, sausage butties, or is it something else completely? 
<laughs> a happy porker, does that mean something else completely? Do you know, weirdly, this is something that reminded me of you, John. I've known you now for <laughs> over 10 years, and there's a phrase that you took from uh, Blackadder, I think, yeah, many, yeah. many years ago, which was Merlin the happy pig. And yes. you do say it quite often, very weirdly. <laughs> and the minute I saw it on screen, the happy porker, I was like, that's John's favourite little phrase. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and when I saw the happy porker cafe, I was like going... What a strange but funny name to call mm. it. I'm with it. Exactly, exactly. But this is where they all merge together. I love how disappointed War seems to be because she's travelled all around the world for centuries, starting wars all around, everywhere, every single far-flung destination she mm-hmm. could possibly go to. And she ends off with this little calf, getting tea for these four riders of the apocalypse, and then going off 100 miles up the road to go to this tiny little airbase. You know, she seems totally disappointed. You know, it's all described by Death. Death eventually gets there and says that the reason why they're going to this tiny little airfield is because, well, everything's controlled by computers now. You can do it from anywhere, remotely from anywhere. And this access is at Tadfield, this tiny little airbase, because you don't need it at somewhere massive. You don't need it at the Pentagon in the US. You need it just a little access to the internet from a small airbase. Yeah, exactly. I love as well that, you know, when pollution walks into this cafe as well, that you have all the litter That's so sort cool. of being blown in yeah. uh, with her, which I thought was a really nice touch. And it, it's funny because... Um, you don't see her arrive on the bike, but you see the bike parked up outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd kind of think it'd be really nice just to see it leaking oil or something. Or um, when the, she's driving through Tadfield, that it's the most sort of smoky, um, uh, exhaust-emitting um, bike of the lot of them. It's yeah. really adding to climate change. Yeah. Uh, I thought that would have been really nice, but it, it's just a normal bike. Especially as you do something like the litter blowing in with her uh, as she arrives. I thought that was so good. Um, but hey, sure, it's fine. But <laughs> I, I just thought that'd be really nice that it was the belching ch- so much sussy exhaust. Yeah, the choking smoke out of the yeah. back of the exhaust of, of Pollution's bike would have been a really cool touch as well. I did like the touch of Death always yeah. there waiting for them, like he always has been for everything. He doesn't arrive. Death doesn't arrive anywhere he's always there where he needs to be when everybody gets there that's kind of the point right? i thought that was just a <laughs> class <laughs> moment actually because it, it's something you know that phrase you know you know of you've mm-hmm. heard it all before and just that it's incorporated in that way because i was i was waiting for death to arrive and then he goes but i never went away yeah i've always been here exactly really really cool and um, one thing here this is what i was talking about in, in the early discussion um this takes place in a pub uh, with a kind of a pokey machine the whole concept of what death's playing he's playing this uh, this trivia machine um in the books there are some other characters introduced here which are kind of beloved from people who've read the book for the last 30 years and i can kind of understand that they're a little bit a little bit disappointed i suppose that these characters have been omitted. The reason why is because the characters that are there are Hell's Angels and they're a gang of Hell's Angels with their <laughs> motorbikes outside and they meet this other gang of what they think is just another chapter of the Hell's Angels. So remember, humans don't perceive anything weird happening when they see these characters. They just look at, look upon them and they look like other humans to them. Yeah. So they think that these four characters are Hell's Angels just like them and try to ride along with them to go to Tadfield for the apocalypse, basically. So just they have this kind of idea of these really stupid characters that 
have been taken in by these people with really cool names like war and death and pestilence <laughs> and, and famine, awesome. you know? And then they try and rename themselves from things like Reg and, and Dwight as their biker <laughs> names into cooler names because they've met this cool chapter of the Hells Angels. But it's, an, it's a great chapter of the book. I highly recommend re- reading the book, even if you have watched the TV show and you haven't read it before. It's still got so much extra stuff in there, as always with books. They're doing a great job of translating these to the screen. But that's just one of the added elements that I really enjoy from the book that they didn't get the opportunity to put in here. I'm sure it's always like kill the things you love when you when you do a TV show just to make the best TV show possible. Some things have to be sacrificed. And I can understand why it wouldn't have been necessary in the TV show. Yeah, I mean, I think as well, this episode has a lot to do. Oh, yeah. Um, and that would have just added more layers into it, which possibly overcomplicates the yeah. production, the, the, the length of the episode and so on. Because, you, you know, you've got to introduce the characters and the Hells Angels in that cafe and mm-hmm. then... What are you going to do with them uh, once they get to the airbase? So it it adds stuff into it. I mean, it'd be great. It sounds awesome. But I mean, I can understand, yeah, you have to sort of maybe uh, clip a few things here and there for sure. It's just another fun gag, really. Uh, And they have so many fun gags in the episode, they probably didn't need another one. Yes, yeah, exactly. of which, (laughs) because sometimes our side of the apocalypse really lead on to each other. My favorite gag, really, from the show, our third son of the apocalypse. The unkillable car. Yes. <laughs> this uh, was amazing on so many levels. Um, I think just to put it in a nutshell for me, from the M25 being explained as it looks like the dread sigil of Odiger, hail the great beast, the devourer of worlds, that this is kind of like an endless water wheel giving off low-grade evil yeah. uh, through the, the worship and anger and that it surrounds London, um, yeah. I just thought was really, really good. Just the concept, yeah, every time this form of traffic jam on this main thoroughfare around <laughs> London, that the, the Londoners are worshipping Satan and they don't realise it. I think it's absolutely hilarious. I love the description of how Crowley effectively got involved in the creation of it, where he says he hacked into a few computers and bribed a couple of people. And in the middle of the night, he moved a few markers for the building of the road. Uh, hilarious. Just love that he had to go to all of that work. And unfortunately, because he did all of that, he's now stuck in the massive traffic jam on the M25. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think that leads also on because like Hasta goes, what's a computer? Mm-hmm. And of course, we have this other moment where Hasta has escaped from the antique answering machine. And just as a quick aside, oh my goodness, did I feel sick uh, seeing all those maggots. For the first one just wriggling out of the uh, head top microphone. I was just thinking, oh no, um, she's going to eat it or something. The, oh, no. the call center lady. <laughs> um, you know, right? as she's she's like going, uh, who are you? Um, how would you know my name? And as Hasta comes back really creepily, I know lots of things, Lisa. Yeah. And then just I everything. I think I should come out and meet your friends. Yes, and t- everything turns to a, a sea of maggots. And then you're just left with the skeletons of all the call center staff. Yes. And I was like, oh my goodness. And then he appears next to um, to Crowley. As a former call center worker, <laughs> I have to say, I do like that they chose unsolicited outbound sales calls. <laughs> Not a customer services call center for, for a big corporation or anything like that, or somebody that's providing a service that people call into. This is a person that's calling a dialing list that she's been given to really annoy people. It's probably modern life's worst 
job for anybody and anybody that yeah anybody that gets those phone calls hates the people on the other end of the phone so i like that they've chosen that type of call center not the nice type of call center where you call to get help i like that they got his surname wrong as well so that it was cowley mr cowley with double w uh, which i does that happen not very often um and it, yeah just really good but it ultimately leads to hester being sat in the the bentley car ready to sort of get the job done on on Crowley you know your time has come and then we just have that fantastic moment where uh, Crowley uh, just speeds towards the flame the the ring of flame that's engulfed the M25 Mm -hmm. and surrounds London uh, and you just see Hasto going what are you doing why are we going this way as they enter into the flame and he's starting to discorporate, he's like, I hate you. <laughs> um, and I think what's really neat is that you have God's voice over coming through where she says, the reason why Crowley hasn't discorporated at this moment effectively is because unlike all other demons, he has an imagination. <laughs> he is imagining that there is no burning metal, leather, flesh, carpet Mm -hmm. you name it and whereas Hastur couldn't do that and so just is burnt off the face of the world Uh, so good yeah well as we've said before every scene in this show matters when you're doing a show that's only six hours long for a book that takes you know a good 12 hours to read there's going to be things that you're going to have to sacrifice and there's things that you keep in and it may not have been evident early on that scene that you thought was absolutely hilarious in episode two i think it was the plants in crowley's apartment where they're shaking at the thought of crowley trying to keep them alive and make them look amazing that is the whole point of this here he's keeping his car alive because he says well i got you from the moment you were created i was the first owner of you i've had you since 1927 effectively i've kept you alive this long and i'm damned if i'm going to finish this adventure without you kind of thing so he's forcing the car (laughs) to stay alive and forcing his body to stay together as he goes through this massive flame one thing that isn't called out in this scene and i don't know whether it comes across or whether it needs to we've all been in london or we've been in london a few times we know how bad the traffic is but the reason the traffic is so bad on the m25 right now is all of those news stories that we saw in the previous episode all of the things about atlantis coming back and the kraken arriving and all that kind of stuff it's obviously petrified everybody in the world so people are supposed to be running around a lot more and trying to escape the big cities as always happens in these types types of apocalyptic events they think the big disaster is going to happen in London, of course. It's because yeah. everybody would think that. It's going to happen in a big city, so you get out of the big cities. But, of course, it's happening in Tadfield. <laughs> and we also just have to have a moment for Horace, you know, who couldn't hold it in any longer uh, and had to get out the car to, to go for a, a pee uh, just off on the M25. Because seemingly, as, as he begins to, you know, hail the, the great beast... Uh, it starts off a chant that ultimately ignites the M25 mm-hmm. into this burning magical ring of fire. And so, yeah, R.I.P. Horace uh, and and his good lady, of course. And the uh, thousands and thousands of characters yeah, that are on fire at the time them. as well, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hasta for me, I've absolutely loved the intonation in his voice. It, it's just that the, the high-pitched freak out that he seems to have as they hit the flames uh-huh. and then uh, you know he kind of resigns himself i just think it is played so nicely yeah. this hate hate relationship between hasta and crowley uh, it's really nice and yeah crowley's kind of i bought you from new uh, you know you will stay with me and even just as he arrives at the um, airfield base that we'll talk about later mm-hmm. on, that, that he says, well, you wouldn't have got that with a new model. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's so good. So good. Ned Dennehy as Haster is 
fantastic. You're absolutely right. This moment of the screaming as he's burning up, it really does remind you of the of the scene in, in the last episode just after he loses Ligger and he just can't stop screaming at the idea that, <laughs> that this demon would use holy water to kill him. It's the absolutely horrible notion in his head. So he just can't stop screaming about it. But he's a demon from hell. He's not supposed to be scared of things. But uh, Crowley is obviously also a quite powerful demon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, we get the return to uh, Queen as well and those musical references. We've had uh-huh. these kind of peppered throughout the series so far. And yeah. here we have I'm in love with my car uh, by Queen. This is a Queen song that I didn't know, I must admit, because I've, I've mostly, you know, my father was a huge fan of Queen. So I've heard almost all of their songs. But there's a, a song that was released before I was born uh, and sung by Roger Taylor as well, which is something that I don't hear very often. Freddie Mercury mostly is w- what I think of when I think of Queen. Um, but this song is called I'm in love with my car and it's the first actual expression of the joke from the book Um, if you look very closely just before they take off to go through this burning ring of fire Crowley takes out a CD of Mozart and puts it into the CD player and it plays the music of Mozart Mm -hmm. but as they speed up faster and faster the music starts to change and twist and turn into I'm in love with my car by Queen in the books as I described I think on a preview episode or, or the first episode in the books the description is that if you leave any CD or any tape around long enough, remember there used to be cassette tapes back in 1990, <laughs> if you leave any cassette tape long enough in your car, it will turn into the best of Queen, basically, is the joke. Um, so back then, that's what would have happened. Now it's a CD that he pops in, and the CD that is Mozart turns into Queen. Yeah, and of course, we have You're My Best Friend as well, mm-hmm. right at the start, as Crowley is racing towards Aziraphale's bookshop uh, and yes, goes to get him. But obviously as he realizes that uh, Aziraphale is gone and he can't find him. So, yeah, again, you have uh, the Queen reference yeah. here to to what's going on in the scene. So, now, so I think there's about six Queen songs in this episode, but those two are huge standouts. Yeah, certainly they're the big standouts for sure. I think the other thing we have to talk about here with the burning car is with J.P. Tyler uh, in Tadfield <laughs> as Crowley is looking for directions to get to the airbase. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the Neighbourhood Watch representative, J.P. Tyler, does say second left uh, up ahead. You know, he gives him the directions, but we have this moment of, well, what he wants to say is, your car is on fire. <laughs> and it's like, as as the conversation keeps on going and he's not said it, it's like, your car is in fire and you're still in it, yeah. you stupid man. What <laughs> is going on? Uh, just so, so much fun. It's hilarious, um, isn't it? I love yeah. that he blocks it out of his mind. I love that the voiceover from God is going. He can't possibly believe he's not seeing a car on fire, but he must be convincing himself. He must see that, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, it, it's ignore <laughs> the elephant in the room. And exactly. in this case, it's a flaming Bentley. Yeah. Yeah, definitely reminded you of something like Hot Fuzz, right? That idea of the little town that's ignoring exactly what's happening in it to keep the kind of idea that it's a perfect little town. It can't possibly be a Bentley on fire in the <laughs> yeah. middle of the road here. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's just really nicely done. Um, mm. I wonder if we'll ever meet Flaming Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> possibly. <laughs> but with that, on to our fourth sign of the apocalypse. The them are friends again. Yeah. It didn't seem like they were going to be friends again by the end of the last episode. You know, we had Adam basically telling Pepper, Brian and Wensleydale that they're no longer friends at all. He's he's sealed up their mouths. He's making them agree with them. And I love that you've got Pepper. I know she's crying. I know that there's a tear rolling down, down her face. And Adam is admonishing her because this is his moment of triumph. He's getting to the point where he's going to turn the world back. He's going to give them everything they want. And then she starts pointing at her mouth because he's saying to her, tell me I'm right. Tell me that you agree to me. 
I don't know whether she's crying. I think she's just straining over the for- the amount she wants to scream at him to go, you're wrong, Adam, you're just wrong. Yeah, um, I, I think so. I, I mean, look, at the start, right at the start of this episode, we see them in the the Tadfield Hogsback Wood mm-hmm. um, with Adam with big, red, demonic eyes, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think ultimately they have this roller coaster ride of, of their friendship here. And I, I really kind of quite liked it because... I mean, as as kids who didn't kind of go through moments where their best friend was someone that they were like, well, I don't want to speak to you anymore. You know, you'd have that argument. All right, you'd have the, that I kind did. of breakup that would last for yeah. a day. Yeah. Or, or, or 20 some, minutes. Or, tw- or 20 yeah. minutes. But not usually because your best friend was the Antichrist, no, right? No, but, it, but the point <laughs> being is that it is that thing that yeah. kids do. It's like um, there's some really nice touches here, you know, that... They are mad at him, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're equally in, in a heartbeat, in a flash, when he has his moment, and this is the whole roller coaster ride, they're willing to come back and help him again yeah. and be his friends. And I, I thought that was really, really nice. And those touches, even um, when they, you know, they meet up again with their bikes to head off to the airbase, and they meet up at this juncture of a road Mm -hmm. and they say we need to get to the airfield base off we go and three of them head down the street but brian goes off camera and then joins up later and it was like did he just go the wrong way Mm -hmm. and then he realized that no one else was there cycling around him but then we thought about it a bit more and it was kind of like Oh yeah, it's the thing you do when you're on the bike yeah. and you're pointing in the wrong direction. The wrong way, yeah. You you go off and do the turn around rather than get off your bike and turn the bike around exactly. on the spot. You you cycle away, do the long loop back to turn around, and then you chase after your friends at high speed <laughs> to catch up with them. And it's like, just a weird touch, but so obvious. Yeah, it's exactly really what you did done. at the time. You, as an adult, you'd probably step off your bike and turn it around and do it. But Brian's already on the bike. Why would he step off it again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just nice touches. But I love that they do mend the relationship. I think it's really interesting because Adam takes it really far here. You know, he he's shouting at them and telling them to smile. He's telling them to go along with what he's saying and then says, I can make you smile if I want to. And there's that real, uh, do you remember the, the video for Soundgarden's uh, Black Hole Sun back yeah. in the 90s, that moment where everybody is being made to smile, their their faces are being pulled back. You know, there's that moment with Brian and Wensleydale and, and Pepper where all their faces are being pulled back into the smile. And the minute Adam releases control of them, that smile drops back to yeah. just normal pretty angry looking faces from these kids yeah right? absolutely and i think the other interesting thing as well is that when adam unfreezes them they decide to walk off and it's at the moment where well what else could uh, he do to us and wensleydale says well he could kill us yeah and they all go through the point of saying yes he could kill us yes he could kill us and like mm-hmm. wensleydale goes Yes, that is right. He could kill us. Yet they still choose to, to exactly. walk away. Exactly. And then are followed by Dog as well, who has been whining all this time as well. So it's really, really interesting. It's kind of like, you know, he is, remember, confined by the actions and behavior of a normal dog. So his owner has been shouting and mm-hmm. hurting people. And, you know, maybe dog doesn't want to be part of that pack anymore, <laughs> even though the hellhound probably does. Exactly. Uh, but 
he goes off uh, as well. And so I, this is this is really nice. And I think, um, you know, this is where we see Brian really step up here. He goes, you know, some adults have messed things up. That's a reason to fix it, not destroy it. And mm-hmm. it seems that, you know, Adam in that moment, um, you know, the truth of children being quite open and blunt, mm-hmm. not being subtle or trying to be sort of political about it or whatever, you know, that truth hit something with Adam because they're his friends. Um, even though Brian also picks up the cricket bat to potentially uh, smash his head in yeah. uh, because he realises that this guy is a threat, has, has gone nuts. But Brian, Brian truly believes what he says. You know, Brian is telling Adam exactly what he believes, exactly what his thoughts are, is you don't just start from scratch when everything's messed up. You fix it, right? That's how it works. You have to fix things. You can't just nullify it all just because some models messed it up. And if he's going to do that, if we have an opportunity to take him out, well, I'll take the opportunity. And I kind of like that from Brian. Yeah. I kind of get the feeling in this episode... It's not really sad, and you don't really see it in this episode, but if you think about Warlock, the, the other boy that was born at the same time as Adam in, uh, in the convent in the first episode, that's where Adam was supposed to have been brought up, in this family who moves around all the time and are surrounded by security guards. You get the impression that Warlock probably doesn't have a huge amount of friends. He's a bit of an obnoxious kid with the way that he's been brought up in privilege the way he was. Whereas Adam's been brought up in this tiny little town with these lovely other kids that are all yeah. that all challenge him and all are interesting around him. I was a bit harsh on them last episode saying that they were they were a construct or they were pulled together by Adam to surround him with the kind of people he's supposed to have around. That is a little bit harsh. All of them do have their own motivations as well. And what we see here is because of them being the people that they are, they're able to talk the Antichrist off the ledge and to yeah. effectively stopping the apocalypse, which we think he's going to do. I mean, I love the feistiness of Pepper. You know, oh, she yeah. absolutely stands up to him. You have the analytical element from Wensleydale, mm-hmm. and then you have the, the sheer sort of truth-telling of, of Brian here. And the and, dogginess of dog. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Pepper as well. Pepper is a truth teller as well, I think, here. Yeah. And I, I you know, it, it's here then that Adam seems to have reneged on what he was about to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he goes, I don't know what I've done, but whatever I've started, we need to stop it. Yeah. And he still knows about his four friends coming and they have to head to the base. And I'm still there going, is it that he will stop the apocalypse or is it that he is still friends with his three and will protect them and uh, and be their friend all the time, but he's still going to fulfill the apocalypse. Um, that is still a bit of an open question to me. I, I think originally watching it, I thought, okay, he's going to go and stop the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Now I was wondering, but is he? Because he's, he's still talking about these four people that he's going to meet, and I'm still questioning whether now he will actually try and stop it or whether he'll just get caught up in the event. Mm. And you're absolutely right, too. That's what's happening, I suppose, as we get into the final episode of the show. We're left with this kind of cliffhanger of, is Adam getting there to end the world? Because you do have this 400-year-old book from Agnes Nutter that's been telling us the whole time, this is the apocalypse, this is the day it's happening, and she's been right about everything else. So that's pretty likely she's going to be right about this as well, yeah? There is just one final sign of the apocalypse, our fifth sign of the apocalypse. Yes, with the cracking of whips, like the cracking of thunder, nice. we have the Tadfield Air Base. That was a lot of work doing the whip cracks. So I'm not going to do that for the next episode. Sorry, John. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, it only makes sense with this one, to cool. be honest. Cool. Um, but yeah, we have the um, amazing American Guard that basically lets everybody in 
uh, to this most sensitive and secret of communications hub yeah. uh, that effectively links all, at least the US and its Western allies' nuclear uh, arsenal together. Um, so, yeah, I, I just loved this guard, certainly when he faces the four bike riders of the apocalypse, uh, as well as then um, you have Aziraphale in Madame Tracy and Shadwell arriving on their uh, little scooter um, as well. And then the the four kids just ride through because I think Adam has opened the gate by him by his himself. Um, that is hilarious. So I so love good. The reaction from the guard who's tried so hard to stop the angel and demon from getting inside the, the place, <laughs> and then just the gate pulls back and it's like, "Who did that?" And the four kids just ring their bells as they cycle on by. Him. It's hilarious. Uh, I really love it. And we have Anathema and Newton. We didn't see much in this episode. We just had a great scene with them earlier on, which I'm actually going to talk about in notes. But uh, but they get into the airbase because Agnes Nutter has effectively gone, just go to this spot where the, where the fence is broken and just crawl, crawl across the fence. And you have Newton kind of going, is this how easy it is? You just read a, read a prediction and then you, then it happens. And Anathema kind of goes, yeah, that's exactly how my life has worked for my <laughs> yeah. entire life. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the one thing I do like is how Newton challenges that a bit in, in the bedroom yeah, um, yeah. with, uh, well, are you going to listen to a 400 year old witch? Or are you going to do things that you want to do? And I suppose it is that, this is what she does and she hasn't really thought about it uh, in any other way then we must follow and we must observe the prophecies of agnes nusser yeah uh, yet newton immediately says well do something different why can't we kind of go again effectively yeah. <laughs> um and that's because the prophecy doesn't really say that that's what will happen yeah so um yeah i love that Newton uh, has that challenge to anathema. Yeah, yeah. And it's important to kind of underline it as well, I suppose. They're constantly saying here that they have this book of prophecies that are so accurate that you can't just read them and it leads you to what exactly you're supposed to do until you're in the exact situation that Agnes Nutter is talking about. That's the point when you realize what the prophecy means. So anathema doesn't actually know what's going to happen next week or the week after that or the year after that because all of these prophecies are only known to her when she gets to that exact moment. So we hear this this thing of um, behind the eagle's nest, a, a, an oak will fall. And she says all of her ancestors thought this was something to do with the fall of Russia. <laughs> but actually, it's to do with just a tree falling near the eagle's nest, near this near this base, yeah. effectively. So yeah. only because she was in Tadfield at that particular day, at that particular time, does she realize exactly what this prophecy means. So I think this is the first challenge that we've heard from Newton Pulse for saying, well, how, do you know how to live your life? Because you've never made any choices for yourself. You've just followed exactly what this 400-year-old witch has said. So nice little thing that they're underlining there. Yeah, exactly. Um, we see also then the the real four horsemen mm -hmm. um, sort of take hold of the base uh, and just death killing everyone immediately with a, a blink of the dead eyes or the snap yeah. of the dead fingers. Uh, and they're taking hold of... The electricity so that they can take control of all the nuclear weapons worldwide and um, we, we see all this all starting up and effectively they are now having to wait for the arrival of uh, the antichrist mm -hmm. here before that all 
kicks off um as well so i, I th- this was really good i i did like that moment as well i think it was an aerial shot uh it's just as adam and the them are arriving on their their cycles and it's mirrored with the four bikes um that are already parked up uh, mm-hmm. from the the four riders and i just it's a it's a nice little shot that is, i think it? Um, it is and all the colors match don't they I yeah, yeah. The, each of the characters have a different jacket on yeah. that symbolizes that they're very similar to the to the uh Riders of the Apocalypse, but uh, but we'll see a bit more of that next episode, I think. Uh, it is going to be Adam protecting his friends, I think, uh, in our final episode of the show. But uh, yeah, I do love this moment. I love that we're all in the same place at the same time in this tiny little town at this airfield base because, as they say, everything can be tro- controlled now from a tiny location. It can just be put on computer and that can control the end of the world. And I love Death's response, which is... Well, everything except for the death of the humans, they have to do that themselves, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Everything else might be taken out of the control of humans, but Mm -hmm. only humans can die. They still do the dying. Uh, They they will still need to do the dying. Yeah. No, that's a really nice uh, moment. Yeah. (laughs) Well, not that nice. But by nice, I suppose you mean accurate, right? (laughs) Uh, Yes. It's a nice and accurate prophecy. Yes. (laughs) Let's get on to final notes for this episode. Not a huge event that I'm going to go into this time because we talked about a lot of them throughout the episode itself. But uh, but the theme song that's played, again, we have another version of the theme song for the end of this episode. This one's played on pipe organ, and I think it's one of my favorites (laughs) for the season. Yes, it's very boding and very churchy. I mean, it does feel like famine should be up there, sort of dressed like Dracula, uh, you know, in his castle in Transylvania, With sort of big playing teeth. out the big organ. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. With his big pointy teeth, yes. yes. Um, what of the note from me, Neil Gaiman actually posted today, the day we were recording, he posted the card that he wrote um, for Anathema to give to Newton, the one that he gave to the kind of uh, the team that create all this stuff for the show he wrote the full card out and effectively the card is surrounded by notes from all of her ancestors about the fact that she's having sex for the first time and will not have sex again with newton pulsifer and it's it's a funny little card i just wanted to read out what the actual prophecy said he reads it to her and goes you go boy may fortune be with you (laughs) because that's a note from one of her ancestors effectively but the actual card reads anathema of my bloodline as the great storm rages the line of my murderer will hold you tight beneath the bed (laughs) Once and once only, underlined, he will take ye, and ye in turn will take ye long-preserved virginity from his ever-untouched man-store. <laughs> Yet the fine thrust of his great cockalorum shall bring thee to an ecstasy thou hast never felt. He is I mighty, though he looks like someone hath dragged him backwards through a great hedge. <laughs> isn't that brilliant i love yeah. that uh, that that was actually written up by neil gaiman for this scene uh, it wasn't used in the scene itself they didn't they, they thought it would be funny for people to see this card and pause it but didn't actually get to make it to the screen <laughs> there's another really nice note utter pornography what was agnes thinking <laughs> um yeah no re- really really good um i think for me the the moment where Aziraphale comes to Crowley uh, in the pub as well as this apparition, as this ghost. I love that the wavy uh, effect of Aziraphale here because it, it really intensifies Michael Sheen's kind of eyes and mm-hmm. makes them really buggy. So there's moments in the conversation where his eyes kind of like just seem to pop out almost as he's saying it. It really adds emphasis to what he's saying. Yeah. It's a really nice effect here. That actually does have a couple of really funny lines in it. There's the conversation between Crelly and Aziraphale where Aziraphale's going, if only I could find a body that would be able to, to take mine inside them. And Crelly responds with, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> just, just hilarious. This whole shipping of these two characters definitely after the TV show came out and definitely... Which among book readers, these two characters are seen as 
in a great relationship with each other. They're absolutely partners as seen. I think of the book, Crowley never calls him his best friend. In this episode of the show, Crowley actually calls him his best friend twice. He's, he falls to the floor in the bookshop going, yeah. my best friend is dead. And then when he sees Aziraphel again in, this, in, the, in the pub, he says to him, they took my best friend away. So he is missing Aziraphel just as much as Aziraphel is missing him. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and of course, there's a little bit of a whiskey watch here because he is uh, drinking... Uh, Taliska whiskey, yeah, nice a fine malt whiskey, I have to say. You know, we're getting up to Jessica Jones next week uh, for the final season, so I'm sure we're going to get a lot more whiskey watching that than we're going to get on this show. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, in fact, he's starting his second bottle. Pricey stuff, I'd say. Uh, but yeah, a nice drop of scotch. I also really like when J.P. Tyler has stopped the, the four kids on their bike and he's kind of admonishing them for, for just being <laughs> out. And you have Wensleydale turn around to him and says... I don't think it's illegal to be out yeah. or being out. Um, and it's like, I'll tell your parents, I, I, Adam Young, I'll tell your father. And they just kind of cycle off. Yeah. You know, it, it is that moment where, you know, he is just a nosy part. Yeah, just, he is a nosy part. Really nosy people that you remember as a kid. There was always one neighbor that would just not stay out of your business when you were a kid, just cycling around the neighborhood, playing football in the streets. So always one neighbor that wanted to report it to your parents, yeah. even though you weren't doing anything really wrong. I love even Pepper, who seems to be a pretty good kid. Like she just sticks his her tongue out to him, going, "Oh, stop messing with us! It's summertime. We're just having fun." You know? Exactly, and I think as well, it's maybe just that there is some kind of um, undertone to that idea. Certainly, from when the book was written, that it is not illegal to be out. Absolutely, of being out, you yes. are allowed to be outside. Yes, definitely. <laughs> That's it. That's kind of the end of our notes. I know there's another one that Bob Phillips has in our feedback as well. But before we get into that, John, overall, what do you think of the episode? To be honest, I would give this episode oodles of nipples. <laughs> nipples, nipples everywhere. Um, I, I have to say now, I have used the nipples one already as mm -hmm. my out of five. So, you know, if I were to put a number on it, I would give it five southern pansies out of five uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah I, this to me is an amazing episode it is so funny it keeps your attention mm -hmm. there's so many aspects that just are laugh out loud from madam tracy's seance to the the burning unkillable car with uh, crowley and hasser in it uh, to the possession of madam tracy by aziraphale <laughs> that is awesome the the guard on the airbase jp tyler the neighborhood representative in tadfield the the roller coaster ride of adam and his friends pepper brian and wensleydale and it's great just to have really significant moments with adam and the them it's just really nicely done um and so for me this is a five southern pansies out of five for absolute sure Excellent. Yeah, I have to say we kind of commented on it at the beginning of the season that we've never done a comedy show as such before. We've had comedy. You know, we did things like Agent Carter, which has comedy in the shows. Some of the Defenders shows have had comedy in them. Gotham has some dark comedy in it as well. Some other shows that we've done. But this is our first all out comedy. And I have never seen you laugh so hard at a TV episode yeah. uh, that we've covered for the podcast. John, this is definitely one that I could see was going to be in your top five out of five level. Comedy. absolutely this really is fun. you know this has my top joint seance scene well, caught on on camera uh <laughs> ever. we want to see the horror movie ouija board after this john maybe that'll be another cinematic uh amazing 
moment of a seance maybe but somehow i doubt it yeah (laughs) let's get out of some feedback if you want to send any feedback to our pratchett postbag you can email us at goodomenspodcast at gmail.com go to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and leave us a voicemail over on the right hand side of the of the website up to 90 seconds of your thoughts or as we said you can record your thoughts and email them to us you can go over to find us on twitter at tvpodindustries or go to facebook at facebook.com slash tv podcast industries to join us over there there's all the ways you can get in contact with us and if you do miss out on our final episode if you're watching this much later in the year and you're watching the episodes and just want to let us know your thoughts we'd love to hear from you email us at that email address and we'll uh, we'll pick up your thoughts and we'll respond to you because uh, we want to hear what everybody thought about good omens overall our first bit of feedback in the pratchett postbag comes from bob phillips on facebook yes bob says You know those self-powered toy cars used to drag back using their rear wheels to wind some sort of rubber band or battery before letting them go right into your sibling's leg or grandparent's skirting board? This episode felt very much like that, drawing back full of excitement and anticipation and paused on the brink of destruction. (laughs) That's a nice metaphor there, Bob. I love that. I'm really liking that. It is. There's so much anticipation. Um, I totally get... um, uh, that metaphor for this episode yeah. for sure yeah it's really exciting there's a great moment then you know you're going to spend the rest of the day locked up in your bedroom after being getting a, a bit of a hiss from your parents for smacking them in the legs or breaking your toy car yeah exactly and <laughs> um, bob says i really really like the choice of musical accompaniments mm-hmm. from the rescue attempt of you're my best friend mm. to bohemian rhapsody Crowley's car radio was tuned perfectly. Mm-hmm. The seance scene was a masterpiece of overdramatic from Miranda Richardson, <laughs> and it was wonderful to see the return of the border agent, who surely deserves a day off now. Oh, that moment when Famine is saying to her, I'm here to, to get to the end of the world, and she goes, that sounds nice, dear. You're going, this woman needs to be fired. For yeah, exactly. You can really tell that it's in a... Uh, a pre-world before um, the craziness that, you know, everyone may be a terrorist that uh-huh. goes to an airport. Um, you can tell it's it's written like that because I think you even turned around to me and said, yeah, surely that would flag anyone up on the system <laughs> if if he said, I'm here for the end of the world. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, ah, more innocent days. I no, suppose. but I think once again, it's the point that as God's saying, these things are presented in front of you. You don't really see them happening. This is what Famine is saying in his head almost to her. He's not actually saying it or yeah. she's not picking up on it because it's not possible this guy could be talking about the Armageddon and he's going to cause it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh, Bob finishes off with other highlights, the motorbikes versus pedal cycles at the edge of armageddon Mm -hmm. and the leaderboard on the computer game in the cafe where the riders of the apocalypse met death couldn't beat pratchett yes that's a little reference i wanted to leave that one to to bob because it is slightly noticeable the the scoreboard that has the leaderboard on the um on the computer game has terry pratchett as number one t pratchett has the high score and then all the other scores are from d dot e a t h so showing that death is a winner but Still can't beat Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Love it. Really good to see. Yeah, superb. Thank you so much, Bob, for the feedback. Uh, really good to get uh, your thoughts uh, uh, on these these episodes for sure. Absolutely. And I feel really bad. I did go back to Steve Brown when he sent us in his, his voicemail for episode four and told him if he did it really quickly and watched episode five, he could send us in a voicemail in time for episode five coverage. <laughs> I do feel bad. But thanks very much, Steve, for sending in your voicemail to us. We'll play it now. Hello, Good Omens Podcast. This is Steve, and uh, just a couple quick thoughts on Doomsday Option. Uh, when the episode started, I thought I'd missed something, but they did a really good job of catching me back up. 
to where I was and, and to what was what was going on. Uh, loved the interaction between Xerophel and the the commander. And the, you're discorporated. Get out of here. It was great. Um, and uh, uh, loved absolutely loved Adam's turn because at first I'd actually written down in my notes I'd actually written that that he's embracing this idea of becoming the Antichrist and uh, he's raving mad, stark raving mad. But uh, we see towards the end, he makes that, that shift and that twist, which was really unexpected and pleasant to me anyway. And uh, love uh, Crowley's car on fire and he's driving and uh, the the man, Tyler, not being able to, to say it because it's too obvious. It just was great. Um, really funny episode. Uh, and I, I really thought it was going to take a dark turn. I thought there was that it was suddenly going to become so super serious and uh, it didn't so i was really glad uh, to see that and i can't wait to see how the uh, the series ends and uh, i uh, hope i get this to you before you record talk to you later thank you steve so much for that yeah i must say i was really uh, pleasantly surprised by adam's turn and his shift um because yeah it was nice to see the the four kids on their cycles uh, heading off to to save the world, mm-hmm. um, even though Adam is probably the cause of the current situation. But <laughs> yeah, no. the cause of he's the tool of the devil. Well, he's the no, exactly. Episode, but yeah. I I must say <laughs> I I had the same feeling. You know that with the red eyes at the start of the episode, mm. you know he's embracing the voices that are going on in his head. He's embracing his role as the Antichrist, and I, I'm really glad that you had um, that shift. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That there is something really positive about that. Just even the idea that even the Antichrist Antichrist has a choice to not be the Antichrist, not be the bringer of Armageddon, as long as he's surrounded by good people who tell him when he's wrong. You know, I like that idea. It's it's really, really sweet. Um, yeah, looking forward to this final episode. That was such a fun episode to watch. I'm really looking forward to our final episode. Definitely. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Thank Thanks, you, Steve. Bob. Um, it's uh, really good to hear your thoughts. And thank you, everyone else, as well, for for popping on like Facebook and just saying a few, few bits of how good they're enjoying... Um, good omens and, mm-hmm. and 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 our coverage as well i think so yes thanks uh, it's really nice yeah remember you can subscribe to our podcast on any godly or devilish podcast player over at tvpodcastindustries.com we're on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and of course google podcasts as well uh, and if you're over there please subscribe rate us and leave a review uh, to share the podcast is to share the love exactly and check out podcastica.com for other podcasts such as the walking dead cast which is back with fear the walking dead season five episode two this week house podcastica just started their coverage of handmaid's tale which released three episodes in one day last week they're doing the same as we do where they do one episode at a time in each episode they're covering a big show and Definitely a great podcast covering that one. Uh, Strange Indeed also discussing another show that released three episodes last week, Black Mirror. They covered the second episode of season uh, five of Black Mirror by mistake because they thought it was the first episode. But as with Black Mirror, it doesn't really matter what order you watch them in. Uh, They're all fun episodes and all very different. So they're all completely separated from each other. So check out their coverage over at podcastica.com. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And of course, we will be back with our review of Good Omens episode six, the very last day of the rest of their lives. Uh, that will be out next. This is the penultimate episode of Good Omens here on TV Podcast Industries. And of course, we are going to be back here with Marvel 
their final Netflix show, Jessica Jones Season 3, which will begin on TV Podcast Industries on June 14th. Mm-hmm. And we will also be over on Defenders TV Podcast as well. For the uh, final time, yeah. For the final time, yeah. The title of the last episode of Good Omens, the very last day of the rest of the lives, it feels like that's what it's like for our podcast at the moment because they keep dropping all these 13-episode shows and six-episode shows with Good Omens. And it's the last ever that we're doing. So we did go- did Gotham, which was going out weekly. We've done six episodes of Good Omens, which all come out in one day. And now, next week, the final, final Netflix Marvel show, Jessica Jones, is going to be out all in one day. We'll be podcasting it over the course of a bunch of weeks because we want to really cover this one as best we possibly can. Usually we do it in two episodes per week. So if you're going to be watching that, follow us over on tvpodcastindustry.com. Make sure you subscribe to it. Even if you're subscribed to the Good Omens podcast, that will only have the six episode coverage that we're doing for Good Omens. Make sure you find tvpodcastindustries.com and subscribe to us there so you can get that coverage. Our final Marvel Netflix show. Oh, all saddening. End of the world, John. End of the yeah, world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but we'll be cracking into the end of the world pretty soon, too. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow acolytes. It's been great to talk to you about this episode of Good Omens. Yes, as always, fellow acolytes, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Remember, the apocalypse waits for no one. Right, everyone? We'll have to get a wiggle on. <laughs> and after we've wiggled on, uh, please come back and join us for the final episode of Good Omens here on TV Podcast Industries. Uh, it will be great to speak with you again. Bye. Bye. The apocalypse is coming. Grab your hard hat, Donald Donald Dennis. Dennis. The angel tells Crowley, demon, to get his ass to Tadfield Air Base while he finds a body to... (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Don't say that with a few drinks in you. Not that I've had any. You don't want to be a drunken demon. Not that. Of course, I've not had any. (laughs) No. But he does have the wonderful weapon, the thunder gun of Witchfinder Colonel. (laughs) (laughs) But he does have this wonderful weapon, the thunder good... But he does have this wonderful weapon, the thunder good of Wind... Thunder good? <laughs> Damn it. Thundergun of Witchfinder Colonel Dalrymple. 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 Yeah, Dalrymple. <laughs>